Our gospel reading for this Sunday comes from Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You, go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity. So the last will be first, and the first last. Grace to you and mercy from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Yesterday was down in Gypsum at my son Isaac's football game, and if you know anything about me personally, uh, I, uh, I played football for, for 10 years of my life, and that uh, shaped much of my life and, and who I am and my character. And, and so uh, it excites me when my, my son is just starting on his uh, journey in, in football and playing football. And I played football in middle school and high school and in college, and uh, in college, uh, we, we weren't, to be honest, that great. We were a small, bad, Division III NCAA team, right? So just uh, kind of barely a step up from high school. My high school was a perennial powerhouse and really good. And so college, I I sometimes wondered if my high school team would beat my college (laughs) team. And yeah, I got to play for four more years. And for me personally, 
you know, I have to say, like, I played, I played offensive line. If you know anything about football, generally speaking, guys who are 5'11-ish, you know, and, and uh, 200-ish pounds dripping wet don't play offensive line in football, but that was my lot in life. The reality is that I wasn't fast enough and skilled enough to play receiver or quarterback or running back. And so I played offensive line. And although I was small and maybe didn't have the natural gifts of an offensive lineman, I will say this. I did work hard. I worked hard in the weight room. I was in the weight room three plus hours a day, right? I can honestly say that uh, minus uh, uh, avoiding any, any kind of uh, non-natural substances, fill in the blanks there, which I did, uh, I got the most out of my body uh, as far as strength and speed that, that I could. I was lifting weights. I went to all the running and conditioning and, and all that sort of stuff in order to be the very best that I could be. And so I, I took my work ethics seriously. And this informed and shaped my attitude towards the team. In college, there was another guy on the team, and for the sake of our sermon, we'll just call him, we'll call him Bob, right? Bob was one of the players on the team who did the bare minimum. Only came to workouts when he had to. Only stayed as long as he had to. Sometimes he didn't come when he was supposed to. <laughs> Took advantage of the grace of the coach. Quite frankly, he was probably better than me. More natural gifts. He got playing time. He got to be part of the team, but he didn't work all that hard in practice or in the offseason. And quite frankly, I resented Bob. I had a really hard time. Why does he even deserve to be on this team? Some of you might be sitting here and thinking the same thing that I thought. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair that someone could do the bare minimum and still get playing time on Saturdays. We as individuals, generally speaking, and this is a broad stroke statement here, we as individuals are hardwired for fairness. Right? What's fair in life? What's fair in sports? What's fair in school? What's fair in the world? And we think of fairness in terms of all kinds of different things. We think of fairness or justice or, or rights. When we think of things like voting rights or gun rights or we think of the right to life. We think of equal access to health care. That would be fair, wouldn't it? We think of fair trade. 
We think of racial justice. We think of religious liberty. And as you see, thinking in terms of fairness in and of itself isn't completely wrong. We're hardwired to think of fairness, and we do this all the time in sports, in school, in work, in life. We're dedicated, many of us, to bringing about justice and equality and fairness. But Jesus challenges us that in the kingdom of heaven. We are in a sermon series, last week of a sermon series, through a portion of the book of Matthew called, And I Will Build My Church. Right? This, these are Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 16. I will build my church. And during this time, we, we look at the ways that Jesus builds his church. <laughs> he uses things like, like forgiveness, we talked about last week, to build his church. He uses things like uh, a confession of, of his name to build his church. He uses things like taking care of the least of these, a little child, to build his church. And today... He talks about building his church through grace. Matthew is sometimes referred to as the church's gospel of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's only here in Matthew that the word church gets used here in well, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 16 and then in Matthew chapters 18. And uh, Matthew also includes the discourse or the teaching, Jesus' teachings to the church. And whose church is it? It's Jesus's. Yeah. It's Jesus's church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's Jesus's church. And he knows how to build it. So let's, let's listen to him and listen to his words and listen to his words specifically on grace as he challenges our very notion of fairness. He tells a parable, but there needs to be a little context why Jesus is telling this parable to his disciples. The parable is referred to as the laborers in the vineyard. And right before Jesus tells this parable, this story, uh, Peter had said some stuff, right? Oftentimes that's the case. Peter says something, it's usually wrong. <laughs> Jesus fixes it. Now, it's worth noting here that what, what Peter says at this, at this point isn't completely wrong. All right, Jesus, Matthew chapter 19, the previous chapter, had just 
got done with his interaction with the rich young ruler, right? The, the, the man who he invited to follow him. He's, but he, what does he say? He says, first, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. And that rich ruler, rich young man walks away sad because he had lots of things and he wasn't willing to part with them. Peter sees what's happening and says, whoa, 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 Jesus, ha, <laughs> ha, look at me. Look at the other disciples. We've given up everything. In fact, the exact quote is this, Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus doesn't shoot this down out of hand, right? Jesus says, actually, you're the 12 apostles. You're going to be part of the judgment. You're going to be sitting on thrones in the judgment. And that's kind of affirming and crazy. And I don't know. It certainly sets the 12 apart from us, that they'll have a role in, in that that we won't. However, however, Jesus goes on immediately after that and says this, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. So on the one hand, yes, Peter and the disciples have given up everything to follow Jesus, but let's not take that too far. That is the context where Jesus gives us this parable. We've heard the parable, right? We know the parable. There's a owner, a homeowner, who has a vineyard attached to his home, and that vineyard needs, needs a little tending to, a little work. And so what does the owner, the master of the vineyard and, and the home go, do? He goes out to the marketplace, and he finds laborers early in the morning. What, what time is this? It's probably 6 o'clock in the morning, right? Early in the morning, dawn, First thing, he goes out to the marketplace, kind of like, I don't know, maybe someone would go to Lowe's or or Home Depot and find a a day laborer to work for that day uh, today. Sometimes you see that happening. So owner goes out, says, I'll give you how much? What's that? One denarius. Thank you. Yes. So one denarius, he promises him. Now this is a pretty fair and adequate payment for a day. Like, it's kind of like saying, I'll pay you 20 bucks an hour, right, for, for a day's work. Come and work with me. 20 bucks, is that fair? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we have to bump that up to 30 bucks an hour, whatever the case is. A fair amount of pay. The laborers say, cool, all right, we're in. They go, and they plan to work for a denarius. And this homeowner, though, he, he goes back. He goes back, third hour and the ninth hour, and he keeps hiring people. Keep, come on, y'all, you, you need work? You got nothing to do? What, why haven't you worked? Well, come on, work in, the, work in my, my field, in my vineyard. Even the 11th hour, which would be, what, 5 p.m. Day's winding down. It's getting a little cooler. Owner goes out, master goes out into the marketplace. Hey, why are you standing around idle? 
not doing anything. Oh, no one's no one's hired us, right? Maybe, maybe that's the case. Maybe not. But whatever the case is, the owner says, "Hey, come with me. Work in my vineyard. And I'll give you what's fair." Yeah, sure. We go. It's only an hour. What what do we have to lose, right? So they go at the eleventh hour and work in the vineyard and. Pay time comes, end of the day, and the master tells his foreman, hey, start with the last that I hired, and let's go to the first, and we'll, we'll give the payments. And he goes out, and he has the denarius. And he says, you, who have only worked an hour, here's a, denar- a denarius, what he promised for the full day's work to the first that he hired. Sweet. Now, what are those who are hired first thinking at this point? We're about to make bank, right? $20, $240 an hour, like 12, 12 hours in a day, 12, we were getting 12 times. We're going to be rich. We're not going to have to work for a few days, right? Or whatever the case may be. But they came and they got what they were promised, a good Generous day's pay, but not what they were expecting. And they start grumbling. Oh, boy. That word grumbling (laughs) makes us right away think of the Old Testament people of God, the people of Israel in the wilderness. Grumbling. How much more do we have to eat this manna? Oh, how much more do we have to eat this meat, right? Grumbling, and they're grumbling, and as they come to the master and receive only a denarius. So what does the owner say, the master say, hey, <laughs> are you begrudging my generosity? I gave you what's fair, more than fair. I gave you what I promised you. Go. You're good. Go on your way. And don't worry about whether I'm generous to other people as well. That is the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And then Jesus again adds, so the last will be first, and the first last. Okay, Jesus, what's your point? What are you hitting at here? What's Jesus responding to? We've left everything, house and home and family and friends, to follow you. That's what Peter thought. That's what Peter said. Certainly we'll get more, right? And what does Jesus do? He levels the playing field. This is how the kingdom of heaven operates, right? This is a kingdom parable, kingdom of heaven. 
on the last day when Jesus comes back with trumpet sound, when he ushers his people into the gates of the new creation and into heaven, when he hands out the pay, each of us, who those of us who have been working all day, our entire lives, you are baptized the day after, the day that you, were, that you were born, right? And have been in the kingdom of heaven ever since. And the person who has the deathbed conversion get the same. Get the same grace. The same invitation into the laborers, into the vineyard of, of the master. But it's not just how the kingdom of heaven operates on the last day. It's also how the kingdom of heaven operates today. Jesus is responding to Peter's statement about today. What are we going to get today? And what does Jesus say repeatedly throughout the Gospels? He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. You can touch it. Let's stop, start operating as if the kingdom of heaven is a reality today. The fact that Jesus came, broke into this world, the fact that he rose from the dead, overcame death, all of that was coming before he was supposed to, in a sense, before the gospel was supposed to, ahead of time. That was the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven into our world today. And this is how Jesus builds his church today. The first will be last, and the last will be first. The playing field has been leveled. So, God's grace is equally available to the straight-A student and God's grace is available to the guy whose mantra is, these get degrees. It's true. God's grace is equally available to the workaholic and to the work allergic. God's grace is equally available to the openly practicing lesbian and to her parents who have been married for 40 years and zealously stand for biblical marriage. God's grace is equally available to those who say, America, love it or leave it. And to those people who take a knee, a knee during the national anthem. God's grace is equally available to people like Peter, who from that first call, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, who lived his entire life, who preached on Pentecost, who dies for his faith in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. And God's grace is available for the thief on the cross with only a few moments to live 
in the 11th hour, repents and, and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. God's grace is equally available to the church worker, to the Christmas and Easter Christian. You know what that is, right? People that show up twice a year, right? And to the church avoider. God's grace, his invitation is laid out. (laughs) And this is where the older brothers in the room, I can speak because I am literally an older brother, uh, and also figuratively, sometimes in my heart, an older brother. This is where the older brothers in the room shout, It's not fair! What does that assume? What's behind that statement? The assumption of works righteousness. I earn my salvation. I get what I deserve. What is behind that? The assumption that I'm one of the first who are hired and have labored all day in God's vineyard. Well, okay, maybe there's that one time. Maybe I'm not the very first, but at least the third hour, right? I mean, pretty early. I've been working for a long time. That thought, it's not fair, is also arrived at by fixating on other people. What have you done? And What have you done? And What have you done? Well, at least I'm better than most of the people here. Okay, there. well, there's a few people that have maybe worked harder than me, but for the most part, what, that's what's behind that statement of it's not fair. And here's the thing. We have to understand God's grace isn't fair. <laughs> that's not fair at all. Fair? What would be Fair? No work at all, you lazy bum. You don't need to come into my vineyard. Fair would be destined to idleness, destined to live in our sin, destined to death and hell. That, if you want to argue about what would be fair, that would be fair. Because we all deserve, we've, we've done a good job of earning that. <laughs> but God, through Jesus Christ, isn't fair. And he graciously invites us in as laborers in his vineyard. Jesus himself, (laughs) he gives gifts graciously, lavishly. He invites us to serve by his side, to proclaim his gospel, to live in the kingdom of heaven, to live in the the church on earth. Jesus himself is the epitome of the first becoming last. Think of the ways Jesus was first. 
Jesus was <laughs> first in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone here going to argue that? Okay, no takers, right? Jesus is better than the angels. That's pretty good. Pretty good, right? Jesus is the only, we just confessed this, the only begotten Son of God. He's the first. He's the greatest. <laughs> He's, what does is, what is, uh, Matthew record for us several times, both at his baptism and at Jesus' transfiguration, he records when God the Father spoke and said, this, this, <laughs> this one. He's my beloved son. Whew. And yet he gives it all up to become last. No room in the inn. Had to sleep in a manger when he was a baby. Nowhere to lay his head when someone comes to him and says, oh, I'll follow you wherever you go. He says, okay, just so you know, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm homeless. Just thought you should know that in advance, right? He took the form of a servant. He died on the cross, and he died disgracefully. That was the ultimate public humiliation to be hung on a cross in front of the roads. That was Rome saying, don't mess with us. He's referred to in Scripture as a worm who is made into our sin, made into our curse. Why? Why does the first become last? So the last, us, can be made first. You, by the gracious work and acts and life of our Lord Jesus, have been made first in the kingdom of heaven and have been given all of his generosity and grace. You were once not a people, and now you're a people gathered together. And we see explicitly here from the ends, at least of the country at this point, right? And there's going to come that day when we experience the ends of the earth and the ends of history gathered together as a people, we've been given that. You're elect. You are chosen by God in heaven. You are the people of God. You are the church that Jesus has built. Ah, That's a good thing, friends. Let's take what the master of the vineyard has given to us. <laughs> Here at church, we receive, again, God's gracious words. We receive the sacraments of baptism and absolution and the Lord's Supper. We receive community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we work in the vineyard of the Lord. Not, we don't work to earn our keep, but because our keep has already been earned by Jesus. We work like Adam, 
before sin came into the world, before the fall, God creates Adam, and what's he create him to do? To work in his vineyard in the Garden of Eden. And so when we keep our eyes on Jesus and aren't distracted by what's fair and what's not fair, what does that free us up to do as, as people? Frees us to let go of grudges, to let go. Hi, Forrest. How are you doing today, buddy? Frees us to love each other. Frees us up to not worry about whether someone comes to say hi during your sermon. <laughs> Frees us up. Best sermon illustration right there, right? You know, there's going to be one thing that everyone takes from the sermon today. It's that, right? <laughs> uh, it frees us up to love other people and to look at the Master, to look at Jesus and all that he has generously given us in our lives today and all that he will give us when he comes back again. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.